on them. There had to be an exact, that John recorded this in such a way that this was something that didn't happen on the other occasions. He didn't lean up to them and breathe on them on the other occasions. But there's two things going on here. One, they were sitting in fear because of the Jewish leaders. And the first peace be with you was to take care of the fear that they had. The second one was to let them know that he's about to do something in their lives. This was not symbolic. There was something very unique going on here. Something happened there when he commanded them to receive the Holy Spirit after he breathed on them. Actually, the correct interpretation is he breathed into them. And what he said in receive the Holy Spirit is such an exact thing in the Greek that you can't get around it. It's an imperative. It's an aorist, which is part of the tense in the Greek language. Very unique. That tense was not overused in the New Testament. And it was about right then. It was present. So there's an there's a imperative present right then. He said what to them? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. This was not symbolic. He breathed on them, and something happened in their lives that was not Pentecost, but it was a preparation for Pentecost. There was something that happened to him to the point that the next verse, I, I'm, I don't have it up here to read, but he talked about the sins being remitted to those that you remit and those that you don't remit, it's going to be still to their charge. And this wasn't giving them any kind of redemptive power it was saying, by what I just did for you and in you, people will come under conviction. And when they come under conviction and they get saved, their sins are gone, but those who reject their sins will remain. It wasn't that the apostles would have authority to keep people under sin or to keep them from sin. He said, what I've done in your life, the influence of the Holy Spirit is going to use you. This was before Pentecost. This was before he said, you will receive, you will be endued with power from on high. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit descends on you on the day of Pentecost, we know that's when the church was birthed. But that explosion of influence, boy, I tell you what, there was, there was all over the discussion in our class when Will was leading that class. I don't know how many times they used the word influence. And I was like, well, that's what I'm going to be preaching on. So I'm not going to say anything. That's about influence. And this is about, when you read this, it's about influence. That he is breathing on them and gave them the capacity to be not only influenced by the Holy Spirit, to be influencers. That they were going to go into the world. And when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, it was a dynamic, it was a command. And how are we influenced by this world? Anybody here influenced by the world? <laughs> That's why we have to die daily, right? The world is all around us. I want to take you to 1 John chapter 2 because it shows you that the influence of the world is all around us. But thank God the influence of the Holy Spirit is in us. He dwells in us. Now listen to what John wrote later about when he says in verse 15, this is 1 John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Anyone who loves the world, anyone who loves the world, if 
anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything is in the world. Here's what the world is about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The desires of the carnality that we deal with every day. The lust of what we see and the pride of life for our advancement. We're always wanting to be advanced. He says, this is what the world is about. It's about you and the focus on you and what you can become. And yet the influence of the Holy Spirit is not upon us. It's upon him that we direct him. So this is the same world we still live in. It's a world where there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But he says this in verse 17, the world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let me ask you this. Is the world you live in, in today more corrupt than it was 50 years ago? Now, some of you says, you know, I'm not even close to that age. But there's a lot of us in this group that are very familiar with 40, 40 or 50 years ago. Would you say our world is more corrupt today than it was 50 years ago? Absolutely. You know, there's a, there was, back when I was growing up, I said this before, probably the worst place you could be caught as a believer was a pool hall. I know you're all shocked about that. But the next place was a picture show, a theater. And, the, and it was almost next to the pool hall, which was next to Hades. <laughs> and if the rapture took place in you as in, of all places, a drive-in theater, you were left. <laughs> you weren't going. And so that was instilled in us as young people. No, I can't go to that. The rapture take place. Plus, if I have two flat tires on my car and my daddy finds out, I'm going to Jesus anyway. <laughs> but this was, our, this was the context of our morality. And look at where we're at today. There was no Roe v. Wade. Maybe about, it's been about 50 years since Roe v. Wade, but... That was like not even hardly on the radar for us back then. And then all of a sudden it started spreading. Now we have groups, listen to this, we have groups now that call themselves Christians for abortion. Seems like those two words don't go together, right? I've missed so many people, almost 30 years I've been here, that have went on to be with the Lord, and I'm not going to try to start naming them, because sure enough, I'll leave someone out, but there's been some wonderful people that have already went to be with the Lord. One of the most, in, one of the most influential people in my life in regard to being pro-life was, of course, my mother, but when we were pastoring in Jacksonville, Florida, Brenda, was, Brenda would tell me, she says, Charles, please don't get arrested. To at an abortion clinic and stuff going on because back then there was called Project Rescue. And then they kind of put that under the RICO Act and then people got serious jail time just being at an abortion clinic with a sign of saying, you know, choose life. And we would do that. We were picketing Baptist Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida because they, now the Baptist organization didn't own it anymore, but it's by that name. And they were starting to do abortions in, 19, in the 80s. 
And so I'm walking, I'm in there, and, and I'm not going to get arrested. Brenda don't want me to get arrested. I don't want to get arrested. And Carolyn Gibson is walking with me, and as we're walking, she begins to share her story about her own experience that prior to abortion being legalized in Roe v. Wade, her and her husband, Roger, they're a few years older than me. Both of them attend Evangelical Assembly of God in Jacksonville, Florida to this day. Roger's just come through a really close call of death, but he's, he's come out of it, and they're committed to the Lord. And Carolyn Gibson was telling me that they really had a good life. They had the number of children they wanted. All of a sudden, she had an unwanted pregnancy in the, in the maybe the early 70s. And she knew she could get an abortion in New York City. She flew into New York City, got what she thought would just be a procedure. She came back, and she just sunk into incredibly deep depression. Just nothing could pull her out. All that Roger tried to say, well, we did what we, was, we thought was right and all of this, and but she just could not dig her way out until she went to a women's prayer meeting and they prayed over a letter to the Lord. She began to heal and she ended up becoming, um, she developed a home for unwed mothers in Jacksonville and saved untold number of babies. Now, I think we are not as diligent in that tragedy that we should be. One of the people in this church that I remember very distinctly, Bob Key. And I was hoping Gypsy would be here today because Bob Key was the last person you would look at and say, hey, Bob, are you going to go down and, and do a prayer intervention at the abortion clinic in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, that's where Bob was. You never think that Bob was like, and then he kind of like, I don't think he ever got arrested. But Bob was down there, low-key, taught, uh, had, was a professor at University of Alabama, was so intimidated by the New Year students, he'd come down before classes started every time in the New Year, he'd come down, he says, you got to anoint me with oil, I'm, I'm scared to death of going up in front of this class, a bunch of students. And we prayed over and he'd have peace and then he would do that. But that man was down there. We talked about salt and light this morning, right, in Sunday school? That's what he was doing. He was letting his light shine. He was being salt. Now, some people think that, well, that, that should, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But now it's made it kind of hard because now if you're just praying outside an abortion clinic, you can be arrested. How many of you have heard, I know there's a lot, like some kind of football game going on this evening. Something like that. How many of you heard about the Spider-Man, pro-life Spider-Man in Las Vegas? Anybody heard about that? Nobody's heard about the pro-life Spider-Man in Las Vegas? Wow. Well, let's just go on. No. Uh, it's a sphere, this enormous sphere. And he climbed onto to the top of that sphere. Get this. Raising money for a young woman that he knew was contemplating abortion and finances was one of the main cause of her thinking about it. And he was raising money for her 
And it turned out that they raised more than what she needed, and she went ahead and decided to keep the baby. But the poor guy, when he came down, was arrested and charged, handcuffed. The guys that was with him taking pictures of him doing it, they were arrested and handcuffed, and now he's charged $100,000 for damaging the sphere. When he did not damage anything, but look at how they throw the book at somebody who's doing something for pro-life when some people can just go through a store, jewelry store, and steal all the stuff they can steal and nobody does a thing. I believe we're at a worse place. And I believe that the Lord needs to breathe again on his church and say, receive the influence you need to be the influence in our world. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm in the generation of when schools were integrated. And I was a junior at Benson High School. I was born in Sylacauga, raised a little bit in Childersburg, and they moved over to Harpersville. And I started the first grade at Vincent Elementary School, and I went to the same location all 12 years. Same place. Ate in the same cafeteria. There was a cafeteria between the elementary school and the junior high and the high school. Went through all 12 grades there. And in the 11th grade, they integrated the schools. And there was students brought to, uh, African-American students brought to our school. This was the way it started. This was in 1967, 67, 68 year. And I really felt, felt for them because they, they were, their eyes were big about this is not what we want. We don't want to be here, and yet I don't remember anything that was out of line. I do know this. Our basketball coach was excited. Our football coach was excited. But it seems as though they were a little intimidated to, to just jump in, and I, can, I tried to put myself in their place. What if I got taken over to another school? There wasn't anything like I knew, and I'm, I'm just forced to kind of accommodate that. The next year, they kind of lifted the experiment, I guess. And only one of the black students came back the senior year. Senior class, Freddie Carter. Went on to work for the FBI and was undercover in different places. And we couldn't even get him to come to some of our class reunions because his parents didn't even know where he was at. He worked undercover. Freddie was an extremely gifted basketball player. And I don't know, maybe Coach Garrett decided that he needed to, like, help him. I don't know what they did, but Freddie was there, and then the next year it was full-blown. Do you think we're at a better place racially than we were 50 years ago? Think about it. I want to take you to something, and um, I love history. Been to Washington, D.C. I could go to Washington, D.C. Uh, once a year and not get tired of it. Not get tired of Smithsonian. Not get tired of going to see the Lincoln Memorial and all this. But in August, I think August 28, 1963, there was a big gathering in Washington, D.C. Some of you might remember that. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s great I Have a Dream speech. Have you ever read that? It's only 17 minutes long, and, and it was August 
in Washington, D.C., so probably that was as long as he might want it to be. But it was one of the great speeches. I've said this before. A lot of people don't know this. Um, I've mentioned it before, but Martin Luther King Jr., that was not his given name at birth. His daddy was Michael King Sr., and he named his son, born in 1929, as Michael King Jr., that was his given name. But in 34, his dad made a trip to Germany, studied what Martin Luther had done, came back, changed his name to Martin Luther King Sr., and changed his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. How many knew that before I just told you that? How many did not know that until I just shared that with you? Well, whatever people's perception of him was, if you read what he did in that speech, it's kind of like he even referenced, he didn't call Lincoln by name, but he did call and mention that we're standing in the shadow of someone who five score years before had given a speech, a two-minute long speech at Gettysburg. And he wasn't even the main speaker. There was some president of a college that was the main speaker that spoke for two hours. I doubt very many people in this room could give me his name. But that two-minute speech that Lincoln gave was one of the greatest speeches ever given. And when you read what Dr. King has shared, and you just need to read the whole text, there was no animosity at all. That man was not a man of anger. He was a man of hope. He was a man of... Fairness, And I'm going to share with you just a little bit. I, I, I may have a picture up there of, of the gathering. It was close to a quarter million people that was crowded into. This is August. There it is. Great speech. Listen to these words. But there is something I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound, bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. I haven't even gotten to the point of the speech that he gets to, I have a dream. In fact, he wasn't even going to give that, but someone in his group says, you need to talk about the dream that you have been talking about. And he ended it with the famous, and that's what the speech is known for, I have a dream speech. But here's back to the point. 
you see where his influence was. His influence was right. His purpose was right. So what are the sources of our influence? Who, maybe I should say this, who is the source of our influence? It has to be the Holy Spirit. We have all kinds of things coming our way, and if we're not careful, social media begin to influence us and influence our mind and influence our heart the wrong way. This is why Jesus breathed on them out of his own breath, his resurrected life, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the dynamic that goes beyond the physical world that comes inside of you that gives you boldness and peace and strength that is not of this world. It's from another world. And he was preparing them to face the things that they were going to face. I know we should be aware of the news, but we should be careful what we listen to. We should intentionally say, Lord, I need to hear what you have to say and not listen to an ideology that's outside the boundaries of Scripture. This is why the scriptures are so important. This is why what Jesus has given to us is so important. That the only agenda of this book, the only agenda, is to introduce people to who he is. And that he has the power to save and deliver and heal and encourage and put you on a path that nobody can stop. This book is alive and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it will lead you to victory every single day of your life if we put our trust in this instead of our trust in what's around us. I want our praise team to come up. There's no one greater than the great I am. And we had a prayer time earlier that I believe God ministered to people. But I want you to come today, if you've got a recurring battle that has just been relentless in your life, something that you said, I just can't get free of it, or you have, you've carried a pain in your heart, a mistake or something, a decision, something that's happened in your life that this shadow seems to always rear its, its face when you just about think you're there, you're free. I want you to stand with me. I've asked Brad to, to help anoint those who are in this room that need a restoration, freedom, peace. Lord, we trust you. We trust your power. We put our complete confidence in your promises. That if we turn to you and seek you first, seek your kingdom first, not the things of this world, but you, that you will save, you will deliver, you will heal, you will make us free. I pray for freedom of those who have carried burdens for a long time, disappointment and guilt, pain, regrets, all of these things that seem to influence the opposite way of the Holy Spirit. Lord, those who come today, I pray that the day will mark a turning point for them. 
Maybe something's already happened in the service that really have put them in a better place than when they arrived here today. But we want to see you. We want to see what you can do in the heart of someone who says yes to you. So if that's you, that's you, you need God to do something lasting in your heart, in your life. As we worship, I want you to just come across the front. We're going to anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus and believe God to touch you today in Jesus' name.